Welcome to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. Soil is a living, growing thing, which is essential to all Earth dwellers. Along with water and air, it's an essential ingredient in what makes life possible. We may not think much about soil. We may even call it dirt, something we walk on and that annoyingly gets on our shoes. Soil is, however, an entire universe of flora and fauna. There are billions of unseen critters in the soil. And as gardeners, it's vital to understand that when you nurture and feed the critters in the soil, you're providing nutrition for your plants. My fascination with soil began some years ago when I produced a video called This Good Earth, which detailed the life that exists in soil and that shows how to keep those critters fed and happy so that your plants will be fed and happy too. My guest in this program is a person who, like me, is a big fan of soil. He is George Altgelt, who has studied soil biology and who makes different soils for different purposes at his business, which is called GeoGrowers. GeoGrowers is located in Dripping Springs, Texas. George, welcome to Mothering Earth. We're talking about soil science, so can you give us a definition of soil science? Mm, very good question. Um, soil science is the study of what makes a living soil. You know, there's apparently a lot of controversy about the word dirt and the, and the word soil. Right. And I, I'll use the word dirt anytime it's, mostly anytime it's fun. Uh, but uh, soil, when you get more serious about what's actually there, is a, a conglomeration of particle sizes and different substances and the life in the soil, which are an array of microbial populations that do the work of, first of all, befriending the roots of whatever plants are there, and then transporting the trace minerals into those plants. And then the plants, um, in turn, nourish the microbes. I first became interested in soil some years ago when I was putting together a how-to video on organic gardening. Uh, and it was then that I found out about these living organisms in the soil, and I just found it astonishing because it was something I didn't know existed, and yet there it is, and it's been there forever. Tell me about your uh, experience in discovering the wonders of soil, and also I'd like to find out a little more about your background. You haven't really talked about that. Sure, sure. Um, um, well, just very quickly, my background is uh, I grew up in farm and ranch country, Hallettsville, Texas. That's where I was born, which is just on the edge of where the coastal plains give way to the soft rolling hills of the inner parts of Texas. And um, there was, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, great uncles, these people all raised cattle. I had a great uncle that had a dairy, and we all farmed. If there wasn't anything else that we farmed, we farmed hay. And uh, th that's my background. But then I went to the University of Texas, and I didn't settle on a major for a while. Uh, after being a philosophy major, uh, an anthropology major, and almost a linguistics major, I decided on biology 
the final frontier. Wow. It's quite a journey. It's quite a journey. <laughs> and what my area of interest has always been cellular and molecular biology, and to an extent, population and environmental biology. Uh, I did not take my degree, but I did learn the language of biology. And, um, you know, I've been at it ever since. I dropped out of college so I could work in construction. Mm. And that was the greatest thing. Uh, one of the, I, my, the big job I always refer to is the University of Texas was rebuilding the chemistry building. And you should have seen what they were doing to preserve the lives of the oak trees on the original 40 acres of UT. Right. No effort. They did preserve it? Did. No effort was spared to preserve and keep those trees, oh. which was magnificent. And to see an institution going to that kind of trouble was definitely an inspiration. Mm -hmm. And incidentally, GeoGrowers sells a lot of GeoTree mix to the University of Texas whenever they transplant one of those giant old oaks. And I talked to the superintendent over that, and he said, to date, we have not lost a tree. Tell me about GeoGrowers. What, what do you do there? Or what we do make you? soil. Okay. Um, and we're um, uh, constantly formulating soil. The soils that we make, we test at a lab. We want, you know, we want the, the real data, so we use laboratories. Um, uh, the lab in South Texas is called Texas Plant and Soil Lab. They're in Edinburgh. They're like the real uh, soil lab. If you want to know what's actually there and what's getting into the plant, that's the place to go. Uh, call us up, we'll give you the address and the phone number. Uh, but um, the, the soils that I formulate are all inoculated with um, a minimum of four to 600 strains of soil microbes, and they're just naturally occurring. Right. Um, um, so these are organic soils? These are organic soils, as organic as you can get. We're mm -hmm. getting a, uh, the compost from dairy cows, uh, from the, the manure of dairy cows, and that manure is tested um, for herbicide residues at the University of Montana. And they can look down to one-half part per billion oh. to find out if there's anything in there. Uh -huh. And this is very important. Uh, it's important to people growing a home garden. Um, it's important to a, a lot of people. And it's yeah. one of the most frequently asked questions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how clean is it? And we, go, we make every effort to make sure it's as clean as it can get. Now, the, that soil will probably not be certified organic or even registered because you can't control what they're feeding the cattle. Uh, nonetheless, we are going for uh, an OMRI certification on our potting soil, and that's maybe about three months away, uh, and it's a big step. We'll probably be the first. Uh, what is that? OMRI? OMRI. OMRI. Okay. Uh, it's, it, that means certified for organic agriculture. Okay. Uh, everything from the home, you know, home grower to the, someone growing a basil in a flower pot. Right. They would use this if they wanted it organic. Okay. And we're there. It's just a matter of going through the process. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with George Altgelt, who is president of GeoGrowers in Dripping Springs, Texas. Uh, and we're talking about soil. And one of the things, you, you gave us a little background on your uh, education 
and uh, how you kind of moved over from education into uh, construction, and then I'm assuming at some point into uh, running geo-growers. But I'm curious as to how, you know, from, from your biology background, how did you get to soil? What brought you there? Thank you for asking that. I love to tell this story. Um, I started a small plant store in the University of Texas area called The Jungle Store. And it was Austin's first organically run greenhouse, nursery, plant boutique. We didn't use anything toxic. You know, th there are a number of pests that will show up uh, due to imbalances in uh, plant chemistry and or, you know, in the case of the rubber trees, not enough light. Uh, it's just one of those things. You're growing something in the ground in the greenhouse uh, and you're underneath a canopy of oaks um, there's not enough light. And uh, light deficiencies are a stress on plants that will invite insects. Right. So, the, you know, the people with house plants, you know, quite often something will show up and it's really that plant's not getting enough light and it can't make the plant defense chemicals because right. there's just not enough energy there. Uh, but, but to get to uh, how we, you know, I had, I had a need for making soil with this place called the Jungle Store. Mm. Uh, and I lived in a co-op at the time, and one of, the, one of the things that we attempted to do was start a cactus garden in the front yard of this co-op. So we went out and dug up cactus and uh, uh, century plants, which, which are in the amaryllis family, they're not cactus, and the, the cactus were not rooting, so I took the cactus and put them up on the roof where they could get full sun. Well, you know, here's a cactus with no root system to supply itself, and I'm putting it out on just broiling hot sun, and the soil was the stuff I dug up out of the front yard. Probably the worst soil you could ever choose to grow a cactus. You know, like next to nothing fertility, and you know, it's, and it's all like little tiny clods. It won't even break up when you mash them. And I looked, and it's like there was no root development. So I started studying that, and it's like, oh, plants need some phosphorus to coax the roots out and get them to grow. So I, I started making, uh, you know, or you could call it artificial mm -hmm. medium, but I included phosphorus, and boy, what a jump in production that was. And then uh, I, I worked for this uh, older couple who had a product called Fertilade, the porters and he had brought a microorganism back from the Amazon River Basin. And it was just this uh, enormously efficient soil microbe, and he packed it into this product called Fertilade, which was basically made out of carbon from leftover from the sugarcane industry. Anyway, this stuff made such a difference in how the soil performed through time, there was no ignoring it. And that's when I woke up to the microbial life of soil. It counts, it matters, it makes a difference. That, that's what we did at the Jungle Store and we made this wonderful potting soil called Amazon River Basin Potting Soil. And it was my first soil. It had, um, it had a, quite a following. Uh, it became a legend. And the story was something like this. You get a bag of it, you know, take a knife and open it up and then throw in the seeds and jump back. <laughs> <laughs>
So is that stuff still around? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's, uh, Where can uh, I get some? <laughs> uh, well, actually, the, the new version of that is Thunderhead Potting Soil. Uh -huh. That's what's about to become OMRI certified. And um, that has many, many improvements. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with George Altgelt, and we're talking about soil. But right now, it's time for a break. I'm here with George Altgelt. This is Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and uh, we're talking about soil. Um, so we've we've kind of gotten a little bit of your background. Um, I wanted to get into what is soil, what exactly makes up soil, because you know it's it's kind of hard when you're looking at it to understand what exactly is in there. What is in it? In yes. There? Well, uh, we might start with the description of particle sizes. Um, we have everything from the tiniest particles, which are clay particles, um, coming on up, there's silt, then there's really tiny sand, larger and larger particles of sand, and then we've got, um, you know, small pebbles, small fragments of rock, and then on up to uh, actual uh, rocks that you you know golf ball sized stuff right. you know stuff you can hold in your hand right. to gigantic rocks uh, that can only be moved with machines uh, but all of these rocks at one time uh, or all of the particles at one time have become eroded and that's where the small small air particles come from right. and the interesting thing about the smallest particles which are the clay particles um, they do an array of very good things for us in the soil. Uh, the particles are so small that their um, static charge is what attracts um, a lot of nutrients, and mm. including water. Uh, it holds water in place, um, but uh, clay particles are so tiny that the static charge is making them stick together tightly and uh, with enough clay, soils don't drain. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, one of the nifty things you can do with gypsum, which is an ionic bonding of uh, calcium and sulfur, meaning it'll dissolve in water. Once you add gypsum, the clay particles lose their static charge and will begin sliding past each other <laughs> and actually allowing water in and water through. So if you have a tight clay soil that won't even drain, uh, the tool of choice is going to be gypsum because of its uh, ability to break up that static charge. Yeah. But coming on up, we've got, you know, we've got the silt particles, we've got the sand particles, and all of these would be relatively useless without organic matter. The organic matter is what gives soil tilth. It gives it its uh, crumb structure. And um, the particles that are mostly responsible for that are uh, the humates, which are tiny little hydrocarbon chains 
that are virtually indestructible. Uh, the only time you can destroy them is when you expose them to extremely alkaline conditions. Uh, and uh, you're actually in the process of dye dissolving and, 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 you know, running counter to what the humate and, humic and humus particles will do. Mm -hmm. uh, severely alkaline soils will eat organic matter uh, close to forever uh, if you don't change the soil pH. There's humus and there's um, the polysaccharides. And polysaccharides are more from... Um, is that part of humus? Uh, that's part of humus. It's part of the, of the organic matter of soil. Uh, uh, polysaccharides are kind of gluey. And uh, they make particles stick together, but not like clay. Uh, and, and they're responsible for absorbing water and nutrients and minerals and then yielding them back. Now, all the particles in soil do this, but polysaccharides are probably the most mobile. And you always want those. And uh, the microorganisms are excreting the polysaccharides. Uh, earthworms are great at this. Right. Um, and in soil, earthworms are great. Now, in a potted plant, you know, they run out of room and there's not much they can do except eat the roots after a while. So um, you, you want your earthworms, especially night crawlers, in your garden soil. Right. Yeah, there's plenty of room there. And, you know, coming on up, um, we have microorganisms that go from the tiniest uh, little guys to um, things like springtails. Right. which are, you know, you can actually see those with the unaided eye. Uh, so a lot of these microorganisms that you're talking about are so tiny that we wouldn't be able, like looking at the soil, we would never see them. Right, right. right. And in one teaspoonful of a, of, an, of a rich living soil, there are trillions right. of these microorganisms with lots of uh, genes and genomes. Uh, they can express themselves in a lot of different ways. Right. And that's one of the most magical things we're discovering about the populations in the soil, mm -hmm. is these guys can shift around and do all kinds of stuff. And then you've got the biodiversity of populations. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I try to warn gardeners about is don't overuse sulfur. Um, you know, sulfur's great as an acidifier, right. but if you put too much in there, there are populations that eat sulfur for energy, and you will have nothing but, or a huge so percentage. Your, <laughs> right, you'll yeah. you'll take your your uh, microorganism yeah. populations out of balance, yeah. and most of what's there is the guys that eat sulfur, and they're you know they're having a grand old time. Meanwhile, right. your garden's not producing much. Right. <laughs> so so when you're uh, Going back to these creatures, I don't, I don't know why I find this so fascinating, but I just think it's amazing. Um, the, these creatures are the, are the ones that are basically eating the organic matter that you're putting into the soil yes. in the form of compost or whatever else you're putting in, weeds or <laughs> whatever. Right. Um, and, and they are digesting it and then turning that into what? Humus? Um, well, they turn it into humus, and they also free up the minerals. Mm -hmm. um, um, things like um, boron. Um, right. There has to be boron in soil so plants can take it up. 
boron is one of those minerals that um, you don't want too little and you don't want too much. Uh, so I'm, I'm cautioning you about, you know, going and getting 20 mule team borax and spreading it everywhere. Don't do that because too much boron causes too much uh, vascular system pressure, plant sap pressure. Hmm. And if you get a lot of boron, you can actually blow out the vascular system of a plant. Hmm. So you want it right in a fairly narrow range of, uh, of boron percentage. And when you get a lab report from Texas Plant and Soil Lab, they're gonna show you how much boron is there, mm -hmm. what the plant's taking up, and they'll give you the range. So you know you're right on the money or not. Right. But that's just one trace mineral. Right. And that's responsible for you know, pushing all the plant sap through the plant. And then of course it's gonna, uh, it's gonna also combine its efforts with molybdenum, which helps move the sugars into the sap stream and then all over the plant. That's where the plant's getting its energy. Uh, and a lot of that energy in the form of sugars within the plant sap right. is going back into the roots. See, those sugars are made in the leaves, but it goes back into the roots and it right. feeds the fungal mat that's not the tree, not the roots, but associated with the roots. And the interesting thing about the fungus is it knows where the minerals are. In fact, it, the analogy is, and I think this came from um, um, <clears throat> uh, Dr. Albrecht, who studied at the University of Missouri, he studied soil. He said, the fungal mat is sniffing out minerals the way a hound dog uh, sniffs out whatever it's looking for. And it knows where to go. Right. And what happens is the roots follow the fungal mat. And the roots are actually supplying the fungus with sugars required for the energy to grow right. into that area. But the fungus has got, you know, enough savvy to know where to go. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, now that we know this as soil agronomists, we're blown away. Yeah. It's like, how does it know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a picture that there's all these different uh, minerals. Yes. Bor you talk about boron. Is that a mineral? Boron's a mineral. Okay, so boron, molybdenum, manganese, other things. Is there some uh, sort of one one stop one sh uh, one, one product? One stop shopping. Yeah, one product that does it all, <laughs> so that I don't have to go and get oh now this I need for this and I need some boron over here and I need that over there. Um, is there something that's balanced? Is something like compost uh, close to getting to where that's all pretty much I need? There's a limited amount of compost that you want to apply mm -hmm. to any living system. And if the compost is really good, it's going to have nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. But the phosphorus being a mineral will linger in the soil, and so will the potassium. And compost is notorious for building up too much potassium in a soil. So you don't want to overuse it and you don't want to use it too many years in a row. And this is where your soil analysis from a lab will help you a lot. Right. Because if there's too much phosphorus, you're tying up trace minerals. That's the first thing that happens. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with George Altgelt, uh, who is president of GeoGrowers. 
and we're talking about soil and what's in it and all the different minerals and substances. Um, and one thing that we haven't quite covered yet is pH. So talk about that. What is it and why is it important? Here's the long and the short of it. Trace minerals are not absorbed in alkaline soils. And high pH means high alkalinity. And among the minerals that are not absorbed in an alkaline soil, when the pH starts to climb up past seven, which is neutral, copper is the first mineral that drops out and can't be absorbed by the plants. And, and you know, you're losing lots of different trace minerals in that spectrum, but co copper is the first one to go. And this is important because the plant that makes these phenolic compounds depends totally on copper. And the plant defends itself with everything made from copper. Once that drops out of the picture, you're going to get uh, a shuffling of trace minerals so that the plant can build frame, but it can't really build uh, a good sturdy fruit, in this case, uh, a red bell pepper. And then it becomes prone to sunburn, um, insect attack. Right. The, the polyphenols, the polyphenolics are the major plant defense chemicals. Of course, there are, there are alkaloids and, you know, there's just this array of plant chemicals. Uh, and they're all dependent on the absorption of trace minerals. And when soils become too alkaline, trace minerals start dropping out of the picture. Now the plant can't defend itself. It can build frame, it can grow, but it can't defend itself. So this is why we pay attention to soil pH. There's much more to talk about when it comes to soil science, so we'll continue with George Altgelt in our next program. Till then, thanks for listening.